from the Whiskey 61 Lounge inside the Bank Plus Studio. You are listening to Mississippi's number one sports talk show, The Out of Bounds Show with Bo Bounds. Streaming worldwide live on the Out of Bounds radio app and on your radio at ESPN 105.9. The Soul. Ah, good morning. Welcome in. The Out of Bounds Show is brought to you by the bone-in ribeye Kessler Prime and the Renaissance. Visit KesslerPrime.com to make a reservation. Recognized by Wine Spectator since 2001. KesslerPrime.com. You're listening to ESPN 105.9 The Zone. We welcome in our friend Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. Kind enough to work with us this week. He joins us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. All right, Steve P., we got Cowboys at the Eagles. And the Eagles are favored by three. Uh, both are coming off wins. Uh, what do Dak and the Cowboys on offense have to do uh, to make it to make it hum? I mean, they're not going to do what they did last weekend against the Rams. We know that. Or I don't feel like they will. But uh, what do they have to do to have a very productive Sunday afternoon and Sunday night in Philly this weekend? Well, you know, Dak, Dak and Dallas obviously had a great game last week. It wasn't just the offense. We know there were defensive touchdowns, and it was one of those Cowboys games where everybody got involved. But I, I think the way Dak plays, his ability to pick apart zones and, you know, find the open guy, and, you know, I, I think he can do that against Philadelphia. We just saw that the last couple times the Eagles played uh, Washington. We saw Sam Howell doing that. Um, the Eagles have a great pass rush, but if they don't get home, there are holes to exploit on the back end there. So I think I think Dak and the Cowboys can have some success. I think they you know they're gonna have to put points up on the board because I think the Eagles will find their way to score. It's gonna be a great game, but it, to me it's just that test for the Cowboys, you know, not just beating up on bad teams and uh, you know, going on a roll when you get a pick six and you know, you just you, you let that you know, get that snowball building in a game. It's about going against the best and you know, it's gonna be another Great test for the Cowboys last time, obviously. What didn't go so great against the uh, 49ers. Right. Would you, how would you describe the, um, the difference in the, in the two rosters, Eagles, Cowboys? I think the rosters, I mean, the Eagles are better. Um, I think, you know, what, what Howie does over there as the GM, you know, always finding edges. Um, the A.J. Brown factor, as much as I love C.D. Lamb, we know A.J. Brown is a top-two wide receiver in the NFL right now. Sure. Tyree Kill. Um, you know, again, I think the Eagles, they lost a few players this offseason in the back seven. It, they've been a little bit more inconsistent in the secondary. But, yeah, they're, the Eagles have one of the best all-around rosters. And in, in, there's no position unit in Philadelphia where you're like, hey, they, they need some help. They, they've, they, may sh- they make sure that they – shore those things up even at safety right safety might have been the one, one question mark and they go and trade for Kevin Byard so um, Eagles have one of the best rosters in the league I still think Dallas does as well but certainly uh, probably a tier below what Philadelphia is right now okay yeah Dallas didn't make a move because Jerry and Steven are and let me put this in quotes content um, which Palazzolo with pro football focus pff.com has told us always be adding pieces even if they're little pieces Always be adding pieces. Off-season, trade deadline, 49ers did, Eagles did, my Cowboys um, did not. So so it sounds like you expect you expect a good game, but Eagles have a better roster. It's in Philadelphia. Eagles by possession or less. Is that kind of where you're going? 
that's probably where I'll land on it. I mean, the, the Eagles have a crazy stretch too. Not it's just, not just the Cowboys. They have the I forget the order, but it's the Chiefs, Bills, and 49ers the three weeks after this, and then the Cowboys again. So this is a massive stretch. I mean, the, the Cowboys have a chance Dang. that they could steal one of these games, right? I mean, Dallas has a chance to, you know, maybe flip the tables in the NFC East if they can um, steal one of them. So yeah. it's a huge it, it's a huge uh, stretch, at least for the Eagles. You nailed it. All right, so they host the Cowboys at the Chiefs, host the Bills, host the 49ers, at the Cowboys, at the Seahawks. Goodness and then the Seahawks, gracious. yeah. I always forget the Seahawks who are in first place, right? Yeah, and who are a really good team um, with Carroll and, and Gino and DK. Um, all right, I want to talk about this other matchup because it's got SEC flavor, and we have a lot of listeners who love Joe Burrow. Bills Bengals, we've seen this before. God knows you've seen it a lot. Um, it, Burrow is trending the right way after the injury, but what it what is the pro football focus grade and eyeballs? What do they see? With Burrow, I mean, certainly trending the right way. The overall season grade is not near where where Joe Burrow usually is. But he got off to a slow start last year and then became our highest graded quarterback by the end of the season. Right now, he's up at twelve in uh in our passing grade. I expect that you know by the end of the year he'll be you know up in the top five to eight. He was. I know the Niners have been torched two weeks in a row, but Burrow was you know vintage Joe Burrow the other day, breaking out of sacks. Uh, moving so much better than he did earlier in the year. He could actually take snaps under center and get it to the running back on handoffs so the the offense has a little bit more versatility. So it looks like the calf injury is behind him. And when Burrow is on, it's uh, incredible accuracy, playmaking, decision-making, all added up in one. So I think Burrow's looking great. And, uh, yeah, this uh, Bills-Bengals looking looking for uh, a great matchup here. Hopefully I'll be uh, on the field. Oh, over in Cincinnati, at least before the game, we'll see. But um, yeah, looking forward to this one. Okay, so you're you're going to the game? Yeah, we got with Collinsworth on the call. I think we were able to maybe pull some strings. I'm at least going. Um, I'm hoping I can you know call a couple plays in the huddle or something. Though they got to well, you should. A few extra perks. Yeah, at least like call the first play as a fan. You know that type of thing. Dude, uh, we'll see what happens. Man, and you're six ten. So we can't. All right. So if you're on the sideline here for our listeners, if you watch Sunday night football, Bills versus Bengals, our guest right now, Steve Palazzolo on the pro on the Farm Bureau Insurance guest line with Pro Football Focus, um, he he may be on the sidelines and you won't be able to miss him at six foot ten. Uh, now, do you have a goatee beard? What's going on, Palazzolo? No, I'm not, not Connor Stallion style. Should I be? Uh, no, I don't. I have an afro, kind of. Nice. But, um, hey, how would you grade Josh Allen's – we've only got a couple of minutes here. How would you grade Josh Allen's quarterback for the Bills season to date? Um, he's actually our highest-graded quarterback this year overall. Um, it's, a, it's, a tight, it's a tight grouping between Josh Allen, Tua, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, and Lamar Jackson so far. Um, at the moment, Allen is number one. I think he had some, some bad luck with – uh, interceptions at various points, um, but he's actually doing a great job. He's completing about seventy-two percent of his passes. He is doing a great job of just you know playing within himself most of the time. It was the Week One game where he was terrible and kept throwing the ball to the Jets, 
But since that point, Allen has really settled down, and he's he's played he's played pretty clean. I know the Bills don't look as explosive at times, but I think they're working through some stuff, and they looked much better against the Bucks last week. Getting rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid involved, I think, is going to help. And uh, yeah, I think Allen's Allen's playing pretty well. All right, you mentioned that group. How far off is Dak from that group? The Bills? No, from that group of quarterbacks. Oh, oh, sorry, the quarterbacks. Um, where is Dak? Oh, he's ninth. We got him ninth overall. Okay. Dak's behind. Um, yeah, Trevor uh, Kirk Cousins is ahead of him. Rest in peace. He's hurt now. Trevor Lawrence, Matthew Stafford actually ahead of him because Stafford's playing really well, but nobody's catching the ball over there for him. Okay. Dak's number nine, right with Hertz. Her, uh, Dak and Hertz are nine and ten in the PFF QB rankings right now. Oh, so Dak's nine, Hertz is ten? At the moment. Always subject to change. But, yeah, I know you, you can run with that. That's good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, I say that, too. All, everything's always subject to change. But people hold me to what I said, like, six months ago. Yeah. I mean, it's a production ranking as of today. You know, eight weeks into the season. Right. Obviously, things are going to change every single week. So, Well, I hope you have a blast at the Buffalo Bills-Cincinnati Bengals game. And we'll look for uh, six foot ten Steve Palazzolo with Pro Football Focus on Sunday Night Football. Thanks, dude. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. See you, buddy. He joined us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Bundle your car and home and save with your local Farm Bureau Insurance agent. The Out of Bounds Show is driven by who? Rick's Pro Truck. I went to see Casey on Monday. He's gloating. Notre Dame. He's thinking they're winning out. Rick's Pro Truck, Glugstat, spraying bed liners, tires and wheels, lift kits, RPT and Glugstat. Back in a second. on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. I can't wait. I think it could be a uh, fantastic game. 11 a.m., A&M at Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin taking shots at Jimbo this week. Um, neither one of them like each other. You can tell Lane doesn't respect Jimbo as a uh, as a head coach, especially with all the resources and, and such that, uh, that you have at Texas A&M. Hey, Mike, if they do move off of Jimbo, uh, do you think they at least make some big dogs tell them no before moving on to some others? Like, do you think they at least make Urban Meyer and Dabo Swinney tell them no before they go look at like Norvell, Lane, Prime, guys like that? I would suspect they will. Um, in knowing a few people that have some influence there, they've always been named recognition influence wise uh, that they want the big name on the marquee and so yeah i think they would at least pr- approach him to see if they have any interest um you know we're talking about scott woodward one of the things scott always has told me is i want somebody to tell me no absolutely and he said you know what a lot of times you don't get that uh the other part about it is you know 
I guess throughout my life I've been asked to be on some search committees for um, head coaches at, at different schools. And one of the things I, I learned early on, and it was actually Sam Jankovic, uh, who was the former athletic director at Miami of Florida, uh, told me this, uh, always have your list of four or five guys uh, because of the fact that you think maybe one or two guys would be interested and you, and you find out very quickly they aren't. So you're going to have to expand that list if you're involved in any kind of search or research uh, on a head coach. And uh, Sam's absolutely right. He told me the story about when bringing in Schnellenberger was one thing, but then once Howard left, well, where were they going to go? And Howard left to take a job in the USFL, which didn't really pan out. Mm. But Jimmy Johnson uh, was the guy Jankovic wanted. That was not who people at Miami wanted at the time. They wanted to promote from within. Oh, gosh. He told me, he told me it was the biggest fight he ever had uh, over a head coach. Then he says Jimmy leaves, and he wanted Dennis Erickson. Uh, he said, I thought the fight for Jimmy was tough, and then Erickson became every bit as tough because there were other people on those committees that wanted different people. So his deal always has been, hey, try to shoot for the stars, Try to find the, the right guy, right fit for your school, but always have you a list of four to five guys because you're going to be surprised at who turns you down and also surprised at who might tell you yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. A Mississippi State job may open up, and it'll be a different level. Um, if it does, they need to uh, make people say yes or no. I could not. Agree more, Mike D. Mike Dettelier on the Farm Bureau Insurance guest line. He likes Ole Miss, but he believes it could be one hell of a ball game in Oxford on Saturday. Again, Lane Train taking shots at Jimbo early in the week, so we still have a few more days. We'll see where we are by by Saturday morning. Um, All right, Mike, everybody's got a different opinion on this. We've always been okay if we agree on a lot of things, but if we agree to disagree, I, I it, it looks to me like the Michigan Harbaugh stuff is is trumped up and Ohio State media uh, trying to make something out of either nothing or not a lot because everybody in college football is is looking for an edge. And as I know they've told you this, as assistant coaches have told me many a times, none of us kneel at the altar when it comes to recruiting and all the other things we have to do. What is your take on the sign-stealing st- scandal, or maybe not, with Harbaugh in Michigan? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I've done this a long time. So, man, I've heard all the crazy stories you could hear. If it's for sign-stealing, everybody does it. Don't give me this. Well, my school don't do it. You all do it. They all do it. Same thing in recruiting. Uh, now, there's different levels of it, uh, you know. But, uh, again, sure. if Michigan had a couple losses on the schedule, you wouldn't hear a peep. That's right. You wouldn't hear anything. That's... It's because of where they're at at this stage. And because Harbaugh irritates people. 
Okay, that's the other part of it. Um, uh, it. It's the truth. I think he gets underneath a lot of people in the Big Ten's cross, so to speak. So I, I think it's a double whammy here uh, with Michigan, and, and they all do it. They all do it to a certain extent. Now he might have done it a little bit more uh, <laughs> than others, but hey. Uh, as one coach had told me, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Because they all do it. Uh, it. It is what it is in college football. You can say, well, that never happens. It's always happened. And I've talked to old college coaches, how they would dress up people on the sidelines and try to steal signs, try to get behind the bench to hear what's going on before a game or uh, uh, during a game the week before they played them. They all do it uh, to come clean with this about, oh, well, oh, man, my school doesn't do it. Come on. Uh, you're kidding yourself. I agree with you, Bo. Uh, it's much to be made about nothing. Real quick, Mike, uh, before I get to LSU and Bama, because we've still got some plenty of time, uh, where does Mike D, I know it's early, but where does Mike D have J.J. McCarthy as far as NFL draft, what he could look like in the NFL? He's, for me, he's a name with an asterisk next to it that he's got a chance to be a first-round pick player and a potential early first-round pick guy. I think with the exception of Caleb Williams and Drake May, all of these quarterbacks are going to have a mixed opinion about them, depending on how you grade. J.J. has good size. He throws the football well. He, I think where he's really improved of, is his ability to read and recognize coverages downfield. He does it much better than I saw early in his career. His processing of information is at a very high level. He's a tough guy, man. He hangs in that pocket, and he makes a throw. Is he going to have eye-catching numbers like Jaden Daniels? No. He's not going to have those type numbers. That's not the offense that Harbaugh runs. So you can't expect he's going to have those type numbers. That's a good numbers. point. Uh, but, man, he, he's talented. He's smart. Uh, he still has some physical growth from a standpoint of getting stronger that he can have to his game. Man, I, I'm a big fan of J.J. McCarthy. Um, Bobby laughs at this, that, you know, we're doing a show in the summer, and – it's like long shot odds for the Heisman. And I plunked down $100 on J.J. McCarthy. And his deal is you wasted 100 bucks. I was like, well, maybe I did. But, you know, I know Michigan's going to be really good. And right now I think Michigan's probably the best team in college football. And, and I think he's a big part of it. I think that's been the difference the last two years to have J.J. there. That Michigan team has looked totally different with him oh, yeah. than without him. Oh, yeah. he's. I, you know what, Mike? You may cash in Yeah, with that ticket. Um, things seem to be trending in the right way. He, he's a heck of a player.
Uh, Tom Luganbill, National College Football Analyst with ESPN. He joins us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. This SEC Insider Hit is brought to you by Ben Nelson Golf and Outdoor. And their easy-go golf cars for the neighborhood. Recreational. By the way, easy-go golf cars are made where? Augusta, Georgia. Made in America. Powered by Ben Nelson Golf and Outdoors. Tom Luganbill, good morning. Uh, you in Charlotte? Uh, I am. I'm back in Charlotte. Got in last night from Austin, Texas, and uh, getting ready here for a, a, a grind. I've got um, Troy in South Alabama on Thursday night in the booth, then I've got Bedlam on Saturday uh, in my field analyst role on ABC, and then the following Tuesday I have a Mac game, but I don't know what it is yet. So uh, I'm cramming, bro. I'm cramming. I like it. I like it. That's uh, that's what we do. Okay, here. The game of the week is is A and M and Ole Miss for us. I, I know we're going to get to LSU and Bama, but I think this could be a a hell of a ball game. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Texas A and M is quite as bad as as maybe some of us think or fans. Their, their losses. I mean, they've lost to some some good teams, but uh, you look at them. They kind of went through the motions against South Carolina, and I'm not taking anything from Ole Miss and Vandy. So yeah. it's in Oxford. Let, let's start with Petrino against Golding. A&M's a, still a work in progress, and Max Johnson is on his you-know-what a lot because that offensive yeah. line's iffy and shaky, but they can do some things. When you look at this matchup between Petrino and Golding in the two units, what are you looking for? I'm looking to see how much Pete Golding's willing to risk um, in, in the sense that we know Texas A&M's got a lot of weapons. That would lead you to believe that you don't want to leave yourself out there on an island too often. I mean, you want to change it up. You've got to keep them guessing a little bit. But when I say what's he willing to risk, how much is he willing to pressure Max Johnson? Because Max Johnson, when, when they get off schedule, meaning that he's not throwing on time, he's not throwing with rhythm and anticipation, and he's having to move from the launch point, Things have not gone well for Texas A&M on offense. So I think you've got to take some chances and get in his face and force him off his platform. And whether it's forcing him to a side that maybe you scouted and he doesn't like. You know, I, and I remember years back when Alabama was playing those Bobby Petrino Arkansas teams with Ryan Mallett. And Alabama had gotten a beat on, on that offense and realized that if they flushed Mallet to us one way or the other, I can't think of it was the right or the left side, his productivity and his completion percentage went way, way, way down. So they tried to steer him out of the pocket one way or the other. And I kind of get a similar feel that way about, about this team. When everything's good in the pocket, they're a much more competent team. So I, I think Pete Golden's got to come after. I, I think he's got to come after Max Johnson. Um, because if you just let him sit back there, he's a good enough rhythm and timing passer to, to chop you up a little bit. Yeah. They, they haven't protected him real well. No. Luke's. No, I, I agree. And, and it's, no, listen, they've got Chase DeSantis in the offensive line. He's a true freshman. They're playing, they're playing with some similar guys to how Alabama's been having to play with and manage their offensive line. 
a mix of underclassmen and a mix of really young but talented players at the same time, and trying to miss and match and find the right the, 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 the right uh, combination. Now, listen, I the bottom line is, see, I agree with you. I think I think Texas A and M is had they not lost Connor Wigman, and I really believe this because I think he's really really good. We might be having a different conversation about Texas A&M right now, but that's the that's the issue that you run into, and injuries can impact you. And if you have an injury at the quarterback, and it kind of gets you out of rhythm, and you're not quite the same, or maybe some of the things that backup does aren't quite what you were going to be able to feel like you could do with your starter, it, it, it gets you off schedule a little bit. Uh, when you look at the Texas, we're talking um, our our game of the week by far and away on the Out of Bounds Show and in this state is Texas A&M at Ole Miss. Uh, I think Jimbo's coaching first job, and I think Ole Miss is playing for a big bowl game or maybe something crazy in the end, just depending on how this shakes out. Mm-hmm. We have Tom Luganville joining us uh, on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line, National College Football Analyst with ESPN, play Power 5 quarterback at Georgia Tech. Uh, when you look at the A&M offense against the Ole Miss Defense. It sounds like you give an edge to the Ole Miss defense, but it's not by much, or or how would you define it? I don't think it's by much. Now, listen, you know, guys like Sunter and Perkins and some of their younger guys have started to emerge. I think that the way I look at college football right now, I think you agree with this as well, is you don't have to be an elite football team on defense. You used to be. You have to be a competently – good football team on defense, meaning that it can't just be a – you can't be SC. Like, you can't be Colorado. Uh, you, you can't be some of these teams that just can't compete on that side of the ball. But if you're able to score and you're able to create explosive plays on offense and all of a sudden you're just competent and you're above average and you're pretty good on defense, you're going to have a chance to win a lot of football games. Yeah, and I feel like that's what Ole Miss is right now on defense. I agree, and and uh, Golding. So they're playing fast and physical, and mm-hmm. assignment driven football. And in college football today, you're just not seeing a lot of that. Mississippi State, Colorado, um, South Carolina, Southern Cal. Some of these teams. I mean, some of these teams are are t- awful. And oh, uh, I know it. I know it. It's and and Ole Miss. Golding's done a good job in in year one. Okay, so. Let's go to let's flip it over. Oh, this is this is good. A um, okay. and M at Ole Miss, eleven a.m. It's the Tito's Vodka Bloody Mary game. That these guys know each other. Kiffin against Durkin. <laughs> now, Durkin was his OC for a couple years. I mean, DC for a couple years, and so on. When you look at Dart and what Kiffin is, this about Lane establishing the run early for you, Tom? I guess they and I think the question is, can they? Because outside, outside of Tennessee in Knoxville, nobody's run the football on Texas A&M. Nobody. And, you know, I think that's really the $64,000 question here. And I've said this each and every week, and I believe it to be true each and every week. The whole key for Ole Miss is being able to play at their pace, not somebody else's. And when they can, they are almost unstoppable with the, the run path options, the quarterback ability to run, the quarterback's ability to compete and be a part of a designated run game where he's the feature runner. 
staying healthy on the perimeter and having a healthy Quinchon Judkins, when they get rolling and they're going at, at an up-tempo, that when I, they're snapping the ball within maybe 13 seconds or so, um, that is when they are tough to beat. But what we've also seen is when they can't do that, if you remember the Alabama plays and all of the disruptive plays that resulted in tackles for loss, pass breakups, and now all of a sudden Ole Miss couldn't dictate the pace of play because Alabama got them off schedule. That is, to me, what is so pivotal, pivotal about the Ole Miss run game, is if you win on early downs, meaning that you pop a seven- or eight-yard gain on first down on the ground, or you decide to throw it on first down and you gain 12, and now all of a sudden you are sprinting to the line of scrimmage and you're ready to run the next play, that's where Ole Miss wants to live. The adverse to that, the problem with that, is if on first down you gain no yardage or on first down you throw an incompletion and then on second down you gain two, because this is what happened to them, to them against Tulane. And they went almost they, – they almost couldn't function because they were so far out of what they want to be. So early down production that allows Ole Miss to play fast, I think is the key here. Okay. Who has the edge? Uh, the edge is Texas A&M's defensive front over, over Ole Miss, I think, in the offensive line. And I think that's – that's the battle within the battle, because if somehow Ole Miss can overcome that edge so that they can play at their pace, then they're going to be fine. If for some reason they get stymied at the point of attack, like I said, like everybody else except for Tennessee has, um, that then that kind of puts you behind the chains a little bit. That's not where they want to be. So it could be difficult for both to have as many red, especially Ole Miss. Now, they can score from anywhere, but as many red zone opportunities as Ole Miss is used to, for the most part, outside of the Bama game, right? Yes, I think so. I, I think so um, with, without question. And, and again, you know, here, here's the thing. Like, if you really watch and pay close attention to what's happening in college football, what things have become, the reason why we're seeing each and every year all of these just ridiculous, ridiculous yardage outputs, right? Somebody gained 700 total yards. Somebody gained 565 total yards, all right? Well, that's all fine and dandy because in order to do that, you're going to do that probably between the 15 and the 15. The question is this. Do your explosive plays result in a touchdown or get you inside the red area and now you've got to earn that touchdown versus a field goal. Red zone efficiency on offense and defense is almost where the game is won and lost now. The teams are too good on offense, though. Everybody is. Right. Skill on offense, laterally and vertically, makes it so difficult to tackle, makes it so difficult to keep the ball in front of you. But you know what? Teams are going to get yardage. But the teams that get off the field in the red area, on defense, and the teams that are able to get touchdowns and not field goals. That's why we're seeing such a shift towards analytics when you get inside, let's just say, the, I don't know, the 40, the plus 48 to 42, mm -hmm. and you're seeing everybody go for it on fourth down. That's why. Because if you get in that red area and you can see, I mean, I, and listen, 
I, the game I had this past weekend with Texas and, and BYU, fortunately, Texas was just that much better than BYU. But Texas had three different red zone offensive series that were inside the five-yard line. It came away with no points on two of them. Good so, grief. Yeah. And so that's unacceptable for Sark and that group. It is unacceptable. There's, there's no question. So I think, you know, to kind of answer your question with explosive plays and, and how many series are you going to have? It's what you do when you get close. That's the whole thing on offense and defense. That, this is a pretty, I mean, Ole Miss has the slight edge to me. We're visiting with Tom Lugan, Bill on the out of bounds show, but it, even though a and not having a great year and Ole Miss is, I look at this, Lane's the better head coach, but Petrino and Durkin can match Lane and Golding as far as play calling pretty well. And Ole Miss has the best quarterback and A&M has the thumpers in the front on defense. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty damn evenly matched game, don't you think, Tom? I do. I, I think it is. And the difference has been with A&M's losses versus uh, Ole Miss's record is A&M has had more self-inflicted wounds and have, have come up with ways to lose games. Yeah. And, and Ole Miss, to their credit, and, and I keep, I, again, I keep going back to that Tulane game because they very easily could have lost that game, and they didn't. And as a result of not losing it, I think they learned some valuable lessons, and then they got healthy. Uh, share with our li- Ole Miss fans may not have, you know, everybody watches their team, some people – um, binge watch college football. Some people don't. Um, describe what kind of player uh, Edron Cooper is for A and M. He has become what everybody is looking for in the NFL and in college football today, and that is a player that is a true pass rusher that can hold up in the box on rundowns. Not always going to weigh the most, but are long and lean with long arms and explosive quick twitch movement, especially when the ball is snapped. Um, if, you, if you look at those types of guys, you know, Kentucky had one uh, with Josh Allen years ago. Yeah. That's now in the NFL, all right? Um, you know, Tim Williams for Alabama, if you remember him, he was one of those guys. Dallas Turner is now one of those guys for Alabama. Um, I mean, I, we, we could run down the list of those types of players that are, they kind of move like big giant safeties, but they're heavy handed and they're physical and they can play in space. They're the true, they're the college football unicorn right now. Wow. I, I think it's going to be a heck of a game in, in Oxford. I give Ole Miss a slight edge, but, um, I, and I, I'll be interested. You know what can what can Bentley and Judkins and Dart do early on the ground against that front that you were talking about is so talented to either allow or not allow Lane to scheme and open up the passing game, right? Yeah, I I, I think that if you're going to run it on them early, you need to have some window dressing and some eye candy to maybe create some eye violations and get them to take a false step in the wrong direction. Right. Right. A lot of backfield movement. Um, then on top of that, I think, I don't know if they can just line up and block them one-on-one in true inside and outside zone. I think they're going to have to gas scheme them. So you may see H 
H-back tackle counter, guard tackle counter, so that you can get proper angles and leverage them so that you don't have to just win one-on-one at the point of attack if you catch them. Okay. That, I think that's the, that, the initial approach. That's just my opinion. I don't know how they'll come out and what they'll do with that. But you know Lane's going to have some new wrinkles. You know he's going to have some things in the backfield. And here's the other thing, too, that they've gotten really good at. Is sometimes there's somebody that you can't account for. All right, let's take the Edrin Cooper kid. All right? You take Cooper and you say, well, holy crap, we can't block this guy. So guess what you don't do? You don't block him. You isolate him as the read guy. And you make him be wrong. So whether it's going to be zone read, whether it's an, uh, an RPO type of scenario, um, it, it kind of comes back to the old beer defense, right? You work up to the second level. Let that guy stay unblocked at the point of attack and force him to make a choice. And that's what you do with some of those players that you can't account for. Okay. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to LSU-Bama. Uh, that was good. That was a good 15-minute hit on, on A&M and Ole Miss, our game of the week this week, driven by your next Ford F-150 at Mack Hike Ford, I-55 North in Jackson. Tom Luganville, National College Football Analyst with ESPN. He joins us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Okay, we got another good one Saturday night. LSU at Bama, pretty evenly matched. Uh, Bama's defense is better than I think people have given it credit for. LSU's been, yeah, I mean, they're top 18 in defensive scoring efficiency. We act like they're not any good just because they don't have, like, one of the players you just described. Uh, But collectively, they're pretty damn good. Uh, So they're top 20. And, and LSU is obviously top 20 in offensive scoring efficiency. Who do you give the edge in Tuscaloosa to? Jaden Daniels in the LSU offense or Kevin Steele and the Bama defense, Tom? Well, if we consider that LSU has not played a defense like Alabama's, and, you know, as we saw with the, with the Ole Miss game, where Alabama is so good is at creating negative plays, and they get you behind the sticks, and they get you out of rhythm, and now all of a sudden you're, you're not comfortable. I think this entire game is predicated upon whether or not LSU can turn it into a track meet because that is not Alabama's game on offense. They don't want to get into a, a, a tit-for-tat, back-and-forth. LSU scores quickly. Now the pressure's on Alabama to score quickly. That's not Alabama, not this year's version. Now it was with Tula. It was with Jalen. Right? Right. It was with Mac Jones. But not now. They're different this way. I think the whole thing depends on whether or not Alabama defensively can force Jaden Daniels to throw the football to beat him. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that assuming that Jaden Daniels can't throw the ball to beat him. I think that he could. But what you can't let Jaden Daniels do is eat his cake, have his cake and eat it too. He can't be able to be used as a designated runner or run around and create all of these explosive plays when he's improvising because things break down, if Alabama can't account for that, then Jane Daniels is going to do what he's done each of the last six, seven weeks. Right. I think he's a Heisman Trophy guy, dude. Like, he has carried that football team, and he's carried it because when they've gotten in trouble, he's gotten them out of trouble. And the trouble is his legs when things break down. That's where Alabama has to come up big. Oof. They have got to contain him, and it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. But this is not a good ball game for Alabama. If let's just say LSU were to go out there 
and score twice quickly. That doesn't that doesn't play well for Bama, in my opinion. All right, what about Milrow and the offense? Uh, th- they may not be great, but they they've turned it on a couple of times when they needed to, and they did against Tennessee in the second half. Do you think they'll be able to move it up and down the field on LSU's D? I think LSU's defense has been much maligned, but I also think in the last couple of weeks they have shown improvement, but nobody's paying attention to it because of the offense. Right. So they have gotten a bit better. Um, you know, the, the question for me is can they, can they get a pass rush on Jalen Milrow for two reasons? Number one, Jalen Milrow is as responsible for Alabama's offensive line woes as the offensive line is because he won't get the ball out of his hand. He moves himself into sacks at times. He'll, he'll drift. He'll go lateral. He'll try to keep his eyes downfield, but he's holding on to the football, and then he takes a sack, and it's unnecessary. And that would be concerning for me. Now, is this the LSU team that we've become accustomed to seeing that's had a bunch of war daddies on defense up front? No, but Harold Perkins is starting to come on. you got to account for him. He's another one of those unicorns. And so I'm going to be very interested to see how quickly the, the clock goes off in Jalen Milrow's head. Because that has not been something that's been quick. He can throw the deep ball, there's no doubt. But he's gotten himself into a lot of trouble, and I know the offensive line takes the, the brunt of the blame. There's plenty to go around, but he needs to take some of that blame as well. All right. Well, we got one or two minutes. You're going to Bedlam, Oklahoma yeah. at Oklahoma State, and this could be it for the rivalry, unfortunately. I know, I know. What a bummer, right? I mean, you got it's been played for over 100 years. Oklahoma's coming off the loss to Kansas. Mike Gundy has somehow turned this thing around behind, uh, I think, the Heisman Dark Horse and Ollie Gordon, the running back. They're dangerous, right? So they're playing at home now in Stillwater. The place is going to be just going absolutely nuts. And you're going to have chaos throughout the Big 12. I mean, I don't know if Texas can beat Kansas State with Malik Murphy. I just don't I, – what I saw on Saturday, I would say that's going to be a tall, tall order. Fortunately, the game is in Austin. So I, I still think there's some chaos to ensue in the Big 12, and uh, it could start this weekend in Stillwater. Wow, that's a 2.30 hour time ABC game. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. And like Luganville said, things weren't going well early for Gundy and Oklahoma State. And, and they turned – that guy, say what you want about him. I mean, I think he's fascinating. But say what yeah. you want about him. That and he may not be as interested in recruiting as he should be, but damn that guy can coach, Luke's. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, they went from a team last year that could not run the ball, could not function. Quarterback was a mess and he was injured all the time. I mean, it's amazing to see. and they had a mass exodus in the transfer portal in the offseason. It's amazing what he's done. Uh, uh, he's one of those guys we'll always wonder what he would have been at a blue blood. Thanks, Tom Lugan, Bill. Be good. Take care, man. See ya. Oh, man, driven by your next Easy Go Golf Cart from Ben Nelson Golf and Outdoors in Madison, Memphis, and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Ben Nelson Golf and Outdoors. Let Benji Nelson and the team at Ben Nelson Golf and Outdoor help you get your Easy Go Golf Car that's American-made in Augusta, Georgia. That was a good show today. Yeah. If you missed anything, including Jason going to Shuckers, and drinking till 2 a.m. <laughs> Go to Apple Podcast or Spotify. Search Out of Bounds with Bow Bounds. We love you. Have a good day. Enjoy the weather and Monday night football. And we'll see you tomorrow.